Welcome to Hello Climate Calling, the climate change podcast by the Embassy of Finland in London and the British Embassy in Helsinki. In this podcast, we are looking for solutions to climate change and introducing people who are working towards resolving it in Finland and the UK. I'm your host, Noora Mattila, and in this episode, we will be talking about the role of circular economy in the fight against climate change. We have about a year to go until COP26, the world's most important climate change conference, and all measures to reduce emissions are needed. So we have two experts of circular economy here. From Finland, we have Mr. Kari Herlevi, the name everyone mentions when it comes to circular economy experts in Finland. Kari is the project director of the Circular Economy Focus Area at Finnish Innovation Fund Sitra. For those of you who don't know, Sitra is kind of like a public think tank in Finland, an independent foundation dedicated to innovations and sustainable future. Kari, how many years have you been working on circular economy? I've worked uh, with circular economy topics around six years now. So, in fact, I came to establish the circular economy area at Sitra 2015. Yeah. And did you have experience on it already, like before you came to Citra? Yes, I worked with the Finnish funding agency for technology uh, at the time called Tekes, which is now Business Finland, and uh, I was leading the green growth program. So, kind of a previous step before circular economy, in mm. a sense. How new is this circular economy topic in Finland? Is it as old as your career with it? No, no. In fact, um, it started a bit earlier, and, and the whole concept actually is is just around ten years old as such. So, in fact, started by Ellen MacArthur Foundation in in UK. So, in that sense, there's a good ground for today's discussion as well. Okay. From the UK, we have Mr. John McGeehan. John is a professor of structural biology at Portsmouth University and developing enzymes that could help with plastic recycling. John, what kind of path led you to working on circular economy? So we've been working on enzymes for sustainability for for over a decade. Originally, we were looking at uh, natural solutions to break down waste wood material to turn it into sugars for bioethanol. Um, But uh, in 2016, when a, a paper was published by a Japanese group showing that there was a bacteria out there that could digest plastic, Uh, we really put all our efforts into uh, investigating this to see if we could move this sort of solution forward. That's a really exciting discovery. Well, before we get to this topic of circular economy, I have this light question for both of you. What is something that you always wanted to know about each other's home country, about the UK or Finland? Or is there something that really fascinates you about the country and you want to know more about Well, I've got, first of all, I've got some personal interest in Finland because my mother-in-law is actually Finnish. Uh, She grew up just north of Helsinki in the country. And uh, our youngest son, uh, we named Marty. Uh, I probably pronounced it wrong, but after one of your previous uh, famous presidents. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I've never visited and we would love to come over and see the country. I think one of the things that really fascinates me uh, about Finland, it's really your links with the environment that I'm very interested in. Um, I have a vision when we visit there of being in a a country cabin, uh, eating amazing food and and really being in touch with nature. And uh, certainly from the UK perspective, we see Finland and Finns as being much more in touch with nature than than we are here in the UK. Yeah. Do you think that's true, Kari? 
Uh, well, in a sense, of course, we have a lot of forest and, and the kind of remote areas. So, so in that sense, uh, it's a correct uh, kind of uh, understanding of where we stand. Well, one thing that is is actually, I've always think about this, that as, as mentioned, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation was uh, set up uh, in UK. And uh, in a sense, in UK, there is a lot of innovation happening and these kind of think tanks coming up. So I'm curious about where it all comes from, the kind of uh, curiosity for new things and innovation, in a sense. So, so I'm a great admirer of these kind of uh, new initiatives. I would say there's a few drivers, but one of the most recent drivers has been uh, the public awareness of climate change and environmental pollution, thanks to David Attenborough and his Blue Planet 2 series. I think that's really um, engaged the public and Without being cynical, that's directly engaged our government as well in, in a good way. Uh, and uh, I think there's huge opportunities at the moment. Um, and it's not just government, but many companies in the UK have also realised that they can actually benefit hugely, both environmentally and economically, for embracing circular economy ideas. start our discussion about circular economy by defining what it means, because the first thing that comes to mind is kind of like recycling and reusing materials, but it's much more than that. That's true. It's it's really, obviously, recycling is an important part of it, but it's really an economic model where we are not focusing on producing more and more stuff uh, in a linear fashion, but it's really that we are moving towards services renting, sharing, and obviously recycling as, as well. And instead of owning things, for example, that's a big trend there as, as well. And, and really making sure that we are not destroying materials at the end of the life cycle, but we are actually making sure that we can utilize those materials. The umbrella topic of this podcast is climate change. How is circular economy exactly linked to climate change? Or what kind of possibilities do we have in circular economy in combating climate change? Well, for example, there have been studies showing that if we are very good at uh, um, already with um, four materials, aluminum, steel, plastic and cement, and we make sure that we can circulate those back to the society, we could reduce the heavy industry emissions by 56% in, in European Union. So how much would we have to cut down the manufacturing or would we have to like basically save all the material that's in use now to get to this 56%? Well, it's it's um, not only about uh, being smarter with the materials. Of course, we have to also make sure that we innovate uh, in, in business models. There's a lot of uh, innovation happening with the sharing models so that we could actually increase, for example, the capacity rates of infrastructure, um, you mean housing, for example, they are left empty most of the time, especially obviously nowadays, but also transportation systems. We are using cars by ourselves and, um, you know, it's not very efficient models either. So we could uh, have a much efficient transportation systems. And of course, behind all these uh, more efficient systems, we can kind of reduce the amount of material needed when, when we are thinking smarter as a whole in a systemic level. Yeah, I suppose like often when you talk about climate change, you talk about cutting and reducing stuff. But this this is about using stuff smarter and reusing also. That's correct. Yeah. 
Well, one of the materials you mentioned there was plastic. And of course, like with plastic, one of the things causing these emissions is uh, making it from oil. But also plastic releases emissions in every part of its life cycle. And uh, John, your research related to this is pretty famous. Your group has, as you said, uh, characterized and engineered an enzyme that can break down plastic. So basically a kind of an agent that can eat plastic bottles in the ocean. I may have cut some corners there. That sounds really good, but is it too good to be true? <laughs> I'm afraid it's not quite that good. Uh, it, it is uh, on the right direction and the right path, but there's there's still a long way to go, as, as with many of these types of research projects. If you take a, a plastic bottle that's been uh, originally from building blocks that have come from oil and gas exploration and huge amounts of energy involved in that, And um, less than 10% of those bottles are turned back into bottles again. And the technology exists to do that, but we don't do it. And as Carrie said, again, this is partly due to economics of the system. Um, and, you know, to think about that plastic bottle then being incinerated or going back into landfill is a bit of a tragedy because you're losing all that carbon again. Um, so not only are you, you losing the energy involved in making and, as you say, producing and transporting, etc., you're also losing the carbon that's uh, that's really valuable within that product. So we've been looking at um, potential solutions to, to bring that back to a more circular model. What does that mean? So if you can imagine this linear economy taking the oil and gas, you distill out the monomers to make plastic. And, you know, this is a huge business and a growing business. Uh, let's not forget that. And we're looking to be You know, analysts have said that 20% of oil and gas reserves will be going into new plastic by 2050, which was as shocking if if we actually do that. Is it now like about 8% or so is what I read. So they would want to like increase uh, the amount of oil that's used for plastic. Yeah, it's, it's staggeringly in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, following from some superb research in, in Japan where they found a bacteria that was living on a plastic recycling facility dump, um, actually, rather than eating the sugar leftovers on, on those bottles, um, these bacteria were actually living off the plastic itself. So this is one particular type of plastic. It's called PET, polyethylene terephthalate. And mm. you'll find it in, in many, many packaging applications. But actually, there's a lot more of it in our clothes um, and textiles. If if you see the word polyester on your label, then that's also PET plastic. Right. Um, so there's a huge amount. Um, and basically, we're looking to these bacteria to produce enzymes. And we took those enzymes into our laboratory And they break apart the plastic back into its building blocks. So we can reuse those building blocks as a replacement, as a direct replacement for the, the monomers from oil and gas. So that would be a huge energy saving and a huge carbon saving. And, and that's what we're really working towards. Mm, that sounds amazing. So you said you're working towards it. Like what still needs to be done before this could be a reality? And when it is reality, how would that work? So this won't solve the, the plastic pollution uh, in the ocean. Um, we hope it will mitigate more plastic ending up in the ocean. Um, if you can break down the plastic into monomers, it becomes a valuable commodity. And this is the idea. We, we make it economically exciting for people to want to collect the plastic and get these monomers back. How it would look like is you'd still need to collect the plastic 
uh, you would then basically have have a large vat uh, where you'd pour in powdered enzyme, um, just like a biological washing powder enzyme. And after days or weeks uh, or even months, it would start breaking down the plastic into a clear solution that you can then reuse that contains the monomers. So there's a few caveats, absolutely. Uh, the first one is the speed of the reactions are quite slow at the moment. Natural reactions tend to be slow. But uh, we have lots of, of, of science and technology that can address that. So I don't see that as a problem. And in fact, a company, Carbios in France, is, has de developed a similar enzyme that is now down to breaking plastic bottles within about 10 hours, which is really exciting. This is getting very close to being economically viable. Um, the other caveat, of course, is that PET is one type of plastic. It's about 20% of the plastics out there. So we're developing other enzymes to, to look at some of the other plastics uh, and see if we can do the same with those. That does sound amazing. I think I already said that. <laughs> What do you think, Kari? It's really fascinating that these kind of new innovations are popping up. And of course, it's not popping up. There must be a, like a long research behind it uh, for some time, but it's, it's really important to, to have these kind of solutions. Uh, similarly, textile is another area where, where there are people think about a kind of uh, different kind of chemical uh, solutions to dissolve textiles to a level that you could really use them again. So I think it's, a, it's a, an area that uh, has a lot of opportunity from the business point of view as, as well. Yes, definitely. So how soon could this be a reality in people's lives? Well, we're working hard. Uh, we're, we're very lucky to have some government funding to help us from the UK. Um, but also industry is, is helping us as well, which is really exciting. Um, in terms of, of timing, um, at the company I mentioned, Carbios in France, has, has got concrete in the ground to build a, a hundred a kiloton plant for recycling plastic bottles. So I think we'll start to see these appearing um, because there are many advantages to this technology. It's, it's very low energy. And um, it's got very low waste as well. What do you think is the importance of these kind of scientific discoveries? Like when you think of people's attitudes, or do you think that sometimes people could react like, oh, I see, like I don't have to do anything. Like I don't have to cut down my plastic consumption because the scientists will take care of my plastic bottles. Do you get what I mean? For, for me, that's absolutely terrifying. And um, it, it does keep me awake at night because the way the press does present some of the story is, is that often it misses the caveats that I just mentioned, for example, which are really important. We don't want to give people the idea that it's solved. It's not solved. This is one small piece in a very large jigsaw. And we're going to need not just this, this technology, but lots of technologies to, to address this. Yes, this is a small but important part in in something that we all need to take part of. Well, let's hear about another innovation from a Finnish company called Kotka Mills. Football fans would be excited to know also that Kotka Mills has become a partner of Norwich City, the team of the Finnish football hero Teemu Pukki. Here's Saila Kettunen, the vice president for sustainability at Kotka Mills. Kotka Mills is a Finnish forest products company, a circular mill integrate. We specialize in wood saturating base craft, called laminating papers as well, and consumer ports products. And we stand out 
from the crowd by special fully recyclable barrier board products, enabling circularity. We are globally one of the biggest producers of saturating spacecraft and have also significant capacity for food service board. We utilize sawdust and recycled fibers in our papermaking process and board products uh, consumer tips from our sawmill. The end products either bind the carbon or are designed for recycling. Overall circularity is a partnering concept which requires the will and expertise over the countries, branches and companies. Everybody needs to be involved. Certainly the glue between Kotka and Norwich City was Temu Pukki. We seek to partner with the ones having sustainability targets that we can contribute. On the other hand, we wish these partners to familiarize and educate the fans with new sustainable concepts and give them a chance to be involved in the change by own sustainability acts. These uh, sporting events are a good example of how several partners can work together to advance sustainability. And Demo obviously knew us and brought the idea also for the Norwich City uh, Club. Is Kotka Mills a familiar company to you, Kari? Indeed, it is actually. We have um, formed this um, most interesting company list of circular economy companies in, uh-huh. in Finland, and Kotka Mills is part of it. There's uh, around 130 companies on our website, and uh, it's a really good story as, as well, and easily understandable, in my opinion. If you had to name a couple really interesting circular economy innovations in Finland, what would they be? Well, it's a good question. There's quite a lot of them, and of course, this renewability side is is one, and uh, Kotka Mills is a good example of that. But then I would list also companies in the textile space. There's, for example, Touchpoint that is making clothes from surplus or recycled materials. There's Valtra that uh, manu- remanufactures tractors gearboxes. And then, of course, in a bigger uh, scale, there's Neste, which is like um, they are currently nearly 80% of the raw materials uh, in Neste's renewable diesel is made of waste and residues as, as well. So it's it's a fairly big area. But then I would also look at uh, the kind of um, product as a service type of business models as as well that are kind of uh, booming quite a lot. And uh, I mentioned the transportation system previously, and uh, there's a company called Mars Global Mobility as a Service, which is very interesting because consumers spend a lot of money uh, buying cars, but they are not really using them. So it's it's a service that actually offers an alternative way and uh, consumers can use one-stop service to access different forms of transportation. Yeah, I think I've heard of that too. John, what are the best uh, ideas that you have heard about circular economy besides your own research, of course? It's a, it's a really mixed picture, actually. There's some fantastic startup companies um Um, just very, very simple things like shops that you can refill um, various using your own packaging, for example. Um, uh, there's lots out there. The UK is also adopting some sorts of technologies uh, like TerraCycle, for example, um, that uh, allow you to do have a more sort of recycled um, circular uh, product line. Um, but uh, I think there's a very long way to go, actually. We're really just beginning this journey here. 
I think uh, I'll pick up something Carrie said. I don't think there's um, a, a good enough public understanding of what circular economy is. People do understand uh, environmental pollution and they do understand climate change, but I'm not sure people have a, a really deep appreciation of what circular economy means. It's not, it's not just putting something in a green bin and hoping it's recycled. That That's really not what circular economy is. So uh, the, the, the general picture of how it works um, and the sort of step changes required in people's thinking and behaviour are something that we're really just starting to address. Right. I wonder if the term is actually a little bit difficult, circular economy. Yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, And there are multiple different definitions for it. You mentioned that it's important for people to take action. So how how can we, what can we do to take part in circular economy besides recycling, of course, but what kind of action is needed from ordinary people? So Portsmouth is an island, it's by the sea, and, and we get we have a little microcosm here that we can uh, test ideas with. Uh, there's an app mentioned, we, there's an app here that people can take photographs of plastic pollution on the beach so they can they can see what's happening. We have groups that go down to the beach and, and clean up. Um, so there's there's many different schemes, but I think um, fundamentally it's about how people view um, their everyday life and how, how much they really need to use and how much they could potentially save or reuse. Um, and that that's something we've got into very bad habits, uh, throw away culture, and that's going to be quite tricky to, to change. Yeah. At Citra, we have worked a lot with education side and um, making sure that Finland has only circular economy natives in the future. So from the elementary school level to to higher education, so that it's really integrated in existing studies. Younger people have influence also in home, and, and they might ask questions that are not usually asked. So I, I think that's one starting point for, for change. Of course, um, besides recycling, one thing is that be very active in the work life as well. Make sure that the companies are innovating in the field. And, and obviously, at the end of the day, we are also voting at some point. So, so maybe make sure that uh, also in the kind of policy side, we have uh, competent people for driving the change. Well, as you mentioned, Citra has been really proactive about the circular economy and Citra has an aim for Finland to be an international trailblazer for circular economy in 2025. Why Finland? What makes it possible here? I, I think it's um, not only about Finland, I think it's about Nordic in many ways as well. We have a very good education system and on top of that we have a very strong focus on innovations and and the industries are really interested in these topics. For example, 2018, there was already from the hundred most uh, biggest companies in Finland, one fourth were already using circular thinking somehow in their strategies. Finland was the first country to develop a roadmap to circular economy in 2016. Has the roadmap become also policy in Finland? Well, in fact, the Finnish government is actually about to publish the program uh, for circular economy, and uh, it will reach out to 2035, so next 15 years or so. So that's a very exciting and interesting time to see how they will take the country forward from, from the kind of uh, policy side as, as well. Okay. I'm sure something similar is happening in the UK as well. Do you know about that, John? 
I mean, it is. And, uh, and I think we have a very powerful voice from Dame Ellen MacArthur here as well, who's, who's really helping to drive this. Um, you know, the, her profile uh, and her group in, in the UK is really large now. So, so yeah, um, the UK is moving in that direction, uh, albeit slowly, uh, as with many other European countries. Um, and, and hopefully um, uh, some of the other larger nations can start moving towards that as well now. Hmm. What is your dream of the world with circular economy? What will that look like and how far away from it are we? I would love to see this being common and people not having to think about it. It just becomes what we do naturally. Uh, we look to the environment and we try and and uh, mitigate our impact on it uh, as much as we can. I think we need to have more actions in many, many levels. And um, we, of course, know that there are some solutions already, already existing, but they are not looking like the whole value chain perspective. If I talk first from the business point of view, but secondly, uh, from the societal point of view, I think what what is really needed that um, we have some kind of targets of material use as as well, uh, not only in individual countries, but uh, in, in the kind of uh, larger markets, just to make sure that uh, there's a bit pressure of being smarter with the materials. Currently, it's it's not the case. And uh, we, we see the projections that uh, the material use is, is growing a lot. And of course, there are multiple reasons for that. But uh, if you could actually uh, have a very good innovation uh, kind of investments and then the kind of smarter policies, we, we can actually create the market uh, from both sides, from the policy and from the innovation side. Yeah. So I suppose this is kind of related to like, there's always a date in the spring where we hear like we've used all the resources for this year, like our budget of the year is kind of gone. But you said a lot of things need to be done. Can you name some areas where a lot more work needs to be done or something that is like maybe difficult to solve at the moment in the world of circular economy? Especially what we are missing yet is is um, policies related to design Uh, most of the targets are about recycling currently, and uh, that's, of course, important part of it. But uh, we would need uh, also policies to make sure that product lasts longer. What people usually don't think of is that around 80% of the material footprint of the products uh, is, is decided already in the in the design phase. When it comes to developing countries... It's about waste management currently, and just to make sure that uh, all the materials are collected in the first place. So can you name an example where design is a big fault in terms of materials? One one example that comes to my mind is the smartphones. I think the average lifetime is, is it 1.8 or something? Less than two years anyway currently, and... Uh, I'm not sure that do we need to have like uh, all the time new models. Um, could we just prolong the life cycle of, of of the smartphone to four years or so? I think that could make already a quite big impact globally as as well. Another classic example um, where design could massively improve how, how we reuse things and how we recycling things actually is a typical plastic water bottle where it has a 
three types of plastic. It's got a PET body, it's got a polyethylene label and a polypropylene cap. And actually, you know, we need to consider, just like the company that that we heard about earlier, can we redesign that to make it actually much better for us so that we can, one, reuse it. And also when it does get to end of life, we can recycle it more easily. Um, there is a drive at the moment to to have materials with better and better properties. And often that means laminates and composites and mixing plastics together, which makes it a very hard job to deal with later on. So there, there's a huge amount of innovation that needs to go in at the design stage. Here's another big question. Will circular economy resolve climate change? It is only one solution there. It's uh, certainly the, the, not the full picture, but it has an impact and it's, it's not utilized enough yet. Similarly, I think it's not the panacea. It's, it's certainly a really central part to the, to the problem. But um, yeah, to reverse what we've already done or even slow it down, Is, is going to take multiple solutions at all different levels. Are you hopeful about the future? I am hopeful because uh, I think now, because of the awareness that people have of climate change, it's changing perceptions and and things are starting to happen, albeit a little bit too slowly at the moment. Um, we have some, some fantastic people out there who are really uh, broadcasting this message and people are, are starting to listen. So yes, I, I'm very hopeful. I'm in fact also hopeful. I think there is a lot of things happening currently and also from the recovery point of view, I think this is a crucial time to direct the investments from the planet point of view to the right directions. Well, I only have one more question and this is good because we were talking about actions of everyday people. What is your everyday climate action? I guess uh, I was one of those users of, of plastic bottles and I've really, really tried to stop this because, <laughs> you know, um, picking up a, a glass and filling it from a tap is uh, is really not such a big effort. And uh, even just thinking about that in everyday life and and what you pick up and what you need to pick up from the shop is something I think that everyone can do. It's, it's not something that you need to be a scientist. Anyone can can mm-hmm. make those choices. I really try to think hard. Do do I need to buy first of all things and 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 perhaps use more services? I think that's a one angle. Uh, from the home side, um, uh, we have solar panels on the roof and uh, ground heat, which is a great combination. And then public transportation. Uh, I think that that's a kind of uh, no-brainer. Yes. Just to add, I think that's one thing that uh, has been quite transformational is the the reduction in air travel. And that's something that I've certainly stopped doing. Um, and uh, it's really interesting because what that's done is allowed us to adapt to not traveling in some quite innovative ways. And this is the type of thing that I think we can take forward um, for the future. Yes. Thank you so much for coming to Hello Climate Calling podcast, Kari and John. Thank you. Very interesting to hear your innovation as well. It's yes. A- 
Yeah, yeah, I'd love to chat more. This is the, this the downside of not being able to travel. If I could be with you guys now, I'm sure we'd be continuing conversations over a coffee. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, thank you for the invite. It's been fascinating to hear what's happening in Finland. Thank you. This was Hello Climate Calling. Thank you for listening. You can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, please share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. 